1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible
2: teacher, Tom Cantor. And so, in other words, he's saying, look, disciples, look, learners, Learn how to become wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Just like he said in Mark 1.17, just like he said in Mark 1.17, uh, the same ones, Jesus said unto them, come ye after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. They were fishers of fish in the sea, but he said I will make you to become fishers of men. In essence, he's saying I will make you to become wise as serpents and and harmless as doves. Such opposite animals, the the snake and the dove. But he says, but it's so amazing that here he, as the great creator, he made the serpent. He made the snakes. He made the doves. And this is the animals that he's calling out to teach us. I mean, we look at a snake and we look at a mosquito and we say, there must be some mistake. Shouldn't make (laughs) this. Shouldn't have made those animals. But there isn't because all the creatures were made by the Lord Jesus with a purpose in mind. And so to illustrate something, even the mosquito. As a matter of fact, the first reference to the snake, of course, you know, is in Garden of Eden, chapter three of Genesis, in Genesis chapter three. And you think, oh, the first thing that says about the snake was that he deceived Eve. Actually, that's not the first thing it says about the snake. What it says in Genesis 3, one, it says, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So he incorporated this subtleness. And it's very interesting that the Hebrew word for subtle there is the word arum, arum. And it's used 11 times in the Bible. That word arum is used 11 times in the Bible. One of them, is the first one is in Genesis 3.1. And of those 11 times, eight of those times is in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, and it's really it's a it's a good quality that's described in the book of Proverbs. In fact, the first time it's used there, Proverbs twelve sixteen, Proverbs twelve sixteen in the book of Proverbs, it says it's the word is prudent. In fact, all of the uh, 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 words that are used for a room in the book of Proverbs are the word prudent, and in Proverbs twelve sixteen, it says a prudent man covereth shame. A prudent man covereth shame. That's the word room and a room man covereth shame. I can't read something like that without thinking of of a man in Japan named Nozomi. Now Nozomi became a believer. It's unusual for a man to become a believer, but um, Nozomi became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one evening in a church service, a Sunday evening church service, and not a they had a time there for testimonies, and so he got up during the testimony time, and he told the congregation that he had a secret that he had been keeping all of his life, and he never revealed the secret, but that was gonna be the night, that Sunday night in that testimony service, he, he said that was gonna be the night that he was gonna tell, he was gonna make public his secret. And Nozomi then explained that when he was a little boy, when Nozomi was a little boy and his mother took him to school for the very first day of school, and typically it's a very dramatic day in Japan, a lot of tears, the mothers are crying, the Japanese kids are all, they all look the same, they all dress in their uniforms and they have these humongous backpacks on the back of them for all their books and their papers and pencils and so forth. It Looks like the little kids look like they to fall backwards they're wearing these things. And like I said, the mothers are typically crying, they bring them to school, the kids are very nervous. And so on this first day of school, for Nozomi, all the kids were sitting in a circle and the teacher was there in the middle and next to Nozomi was this little girl. And so the teacher was introducing herself to the class when all of a sudden, Nozomi jumped up out of his seat and he ran outside, and he got came back into the room with a bucket of water, and he dumped it all over the girl next to him. <laughs> so she said, so the poor little girl's all drenched in water. The teacher is shocked. The, the students can't believe their eyes, and then he sat down. And so, right away, the teacher begins to strongly question to why did he do that? And he just sits there silent, he refuses to answer. And for the whole school year, Nozomi was taunted, he was jeered by his students there for what he did when he drenched that little girl with water. But he just took it and he never told anyone why he did it. Well, what happened was that Nozomi was a star student and he rose in achievement there during that school year to the point where he became the best student of the year. He got the so-called Ichiban Award, the first place award for for his class. And it was at that time when the teacher pulled Nozomi off privately and said to him, Nozomi, uh, today you're going to receive the first place award for your class and you've been just a model student. But there's something that has been bothering me all year long and it's what you did on that first day of school when you dumped water all over that little girl. And so I promise you, Nozomi, his teacher said, I promise you, Nozomi, that if you just tell me why you did that, that I'll keep it a secret and I won't tell anyone. And so Nozomi agreed. And he told her the secret that he was telling to the church that night. And the secret was, he said, you know, on the first day of school, he said, all of us were very nervous. All of us kids were very, very nervous. And the little girl next to me, she was so nervous that she lost control and she urinated. And urine was a puddle of water in front of her. And everybody could see it, and I knew that if all the other students saw that, that she would be shamed for the whole school year. Now, she was the baby that wasn't going to be, that wasn't ready to go to school, and I didn't want her to be shamed. So the only solution was to make her all wet with water, and no one would see her urine. And the teacher said, "But Nozomi, you, you suffered all year long." because of what you did that little girl. And then he said, yes. He said, I could, but she could not. Nozomi is the example of prudency from Proverbs 12, 16. A prudent man covereth shame. He covered the shame of that little girl who lost control. He covered the shame. Now, by the way, the word Nozomi means hope in Japanese. And whenever I would go for decades, I used to since 1982. I would go to Japan sometimes one, two times a year, and I really went to Japan, um, not because I was seeking business, Oh, I was, but that wasn't the primary goal. The primary goal was to build relationships with with, uh, Japanese businessmen, so I went to Japan for 10 years with absolutely no business, but I would come with new things to teach and show about products and so forth, just to get the opportunity to go to lunch, to make relationships, and then, when I would teach them and show them about the Lord Jesus Christ in the context of business, they would always have the same response to me. Oh, Kanter-san, Western religion, Western religion, we are Japanese, we're not Western. So in response to that, I wrote a booklet uh, about this history of Nozomi. And, and I had to translate it into Japanese and I gave it to all my Japanese business friends and you know what I put for a title on there? I put out a title there, How a Jew Learned the Meaning of Isaiah 53, because the Nozomi history is like, we are that little girl, and Nozomi is like the Lord Jesus Christ, and he cared for us, and he covered us, not with water, but with his blood, so that the shame of our sin would not be seen, just like the shame of the, the urine of the girl would not be seen. And just like he suffered all year, and the little girl didn't suffer, he said, I could not she couldn't. so. When we look at verse 16, the application of wise goes back to this word that where the serpent sees a room from Genesis 3.1, he sees a room. In other words, he's prudent, he's careful, he's thinking. And so the Lord Jesus is saying to us, you need to be like that, you need to become like that. You need to foresee what problems may be coming. You need to take action And so this is what he's saying. You need to become wise like a serpent. Don't become like a serpent that's deadly with its venom. Don't become like a serpent that's deceitful, trying to lure people in with their beautiful skin and so forth like that, within striking distance. But be like the serpent in how the serpent is very goal-oriented. It will track its prey very patiently, waiting for the moment when it can achieve its goal. Be like the serpent who's very sharp-sighted, very focused. You can even see this in a snake when it's prey, like a mouse or whatever, is moving back and forth, and the the snake will move its head back and forth as it's tracking so carefully. So he says, be like that, become like that. And then he says, and become harmless as the, the dove. Now, the Greek word that's behind this word harmless is the the word akaros, and akaros literally means not mixed, not mixed, so the word was typically used for wine. as was wine because when someone wanted to make a little bit extra money on how much wine, they're gonna say they used to spike the wine with water. So they used to mix the wine with water, and so pure wine that was not mixed with water was called akaros, akaros, which means that it was 100% true, it was true through and through. So the idea here when he says be harmless as doves is just be true through and through. Don't be deceitful. Don't be a person of guile. This is a description of the Lord Jesus. He was akaros, he was true through and through. He had no deceit. It says in Isaiah 53, 9, Isaiah 53, 9. he done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. First Peter 2, 21. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us the example that you should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Neither was guile found in his mouth. He was very truthful. He just He spoke it as he saw it. He saw it, he spoke it. He spoke about hell. He saw the great danger, he spoke about hell. He was hated for that. If he had refrained from preaching about hell, he would not have been true. He wouldn't have been, he would have been deceitful. But because he warned about hell, he was hated. Now, the dove also, he says, be like the dove. The dove is a symbol of peace, double symbol of peace. And the Lord said in Matthew 5:9, Matthew 5.9, Blessed are the peacemakers. To be a peacemaker, we should be a peacemaker. He says the dove is a very clean animal. You won't find a dove going around dead things like vultures do and stuff like that. It's very clean. And a dove, really like any bird, what's in trouble, what's it do? Head for the sky, it heads for the sky. He flies upward, or she flies upward to escape danger. And in that example of flying upward when danger comes, we're to be like that, we're to be like that. When we're in trouble, we escape in prayer. Prayer is our way of rising above, of soaring over our troubles should be like the dove in that aspect. Also, the dove, famous for what the dove is, is very faithful to its mate. Very faithful to its mate. It will not mate with another dove if the the one mate dies. And doves are always in groups. Doves are very group-oriented animals. They're not independent animals. They're not loners. They're always together. You always find, we should be like the dove. And one thing about the dove is that the dove is absolutely harmless. It is harmless because The dove, it doesn't have, it's not like a ram, it doesn't have a a horn to ram with. The dove doesn't have any teeth to bite with. The dove doesn't have any talons or claws to tear with. The dove doesn't have any sting to hurt with. The dove has no ability and no intention of harming. It's just harmless. And so that also means that the dove has no ability to fight back. So like the dove, we should also view ourselves that that way as well. No weapons to fight back with. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a weapon because it says that we, the Bible says that we do have a weapon. We have a weapon that's far superior to any other weapon described in Hebrews 4.12, Hebrews 4.12 where it says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So our weapon is the word of God. And we see the Lord Jesus using that weapon. When he was in the desert and he's fighting against the devil and his reply is constantly, it is written in Matthew 4.4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. In Matthew 4.7, when he's tempted again, with casting himself off the temples. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, it says in Matthew 4.10, Mark 4.10, get thee hence Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord the, thy God. His weapon is, it is written, it is written. Now, there's one thing about the word of God is that it acts, but sometimes slowly in a person. When the word of God is given, may not be immediate the action, but it's slow. Kind of like, sort of a little bit like the venom of the snake. I remember in Lakeside with our goats there that sometimes a rattlesnake would get into the goat pen. And what would happen, of course the goats are always so nosy that they had to go investigate everything. And so they would go up there to this rattlesnake to see where it was and the rattlesnake would bite the goat and hit him in the neck. And then over a period of time, it would become evident what happened and they would slowly over about, a, it really took about a two or three day period, they would die, and then afterward, we would cut them up and see what, what, what had happened there. And so, you know, when the word of God is given, sometimes it takes a while, not to bring death, but to bring life. And so this is an, an aspect there of the word, which is important for us to remember as we give it out. And so, Lord Jesus, we see in his life that he was not fighting back, When he reviled, he reviled not again, but he was wise. He came to a city one time where they wanted to kill him. It says in Luke 429, Luke 429, that the people there rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill wherein their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They wanted to kill him. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. So he was wise. He was avoiding danger. He was avoiding danger there. Now, the Lord also speaks about that they're gonna be delivered up to the councils. That's the Sanhedrin. They're gonna be delivered up to the councils. So he was telling them, don't rely on the courts to help you. That's funny. Don't rely on the courts to help you. He said that in verse 17. Actually, King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.16, Ecclesiastes 3.16, moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment, it's a court that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. Then he warns, warns them in verse 17 that they're going to be scourged. They're gonna be scourged. Now, scourging was whipping, and it was typically the person was tied down on the ground. At first they were tied down on the ground, they were tied to the ground, and then later it kind of evolved. They tied to a post. But Moses gave very specific instructions in Deuteronomy 25, two through three, Deuteronomy 25, two through three about whipping and Moses said that a person was not to be whipped more than with 40 lashes, 40 lashes. And so first it was with a rod and then it evolved into pieces of leather that which there were sharp pieces of iron or lead that was tied to it. And when that was used, those were called scorpions, scorpions. And that's what Rehoboam was was saying was referring to in 1 Kings 12:11, 1 Kings 12:11 when he spoke about now whereas my father did laid you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. That's the the scorpion whip. Then what happened was that the whip evolved to be one rod with three strands of uh, three pieces of of leather attached to it so that in order to avoid the four, going more than 40 stripes, the most that they could hit a person with was 13, 13 times three, so that would be 39 stripes, 39 strokes, 39 lashes, and that's what Paul had experienced five times, and that's why he said, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, 24, 2 Corinthians 11, 24, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Well, 40 save one is 39, and that's because they were using the The rod there with the three pieces on there, get 39 lashes, the 13 times. And then he finishes up here in verse 18 by telling them that they will be brought before governors and kings, governors and kings. Now up until this point, the opposition that was described there was from the the religious side, but now it's getting into the government and high officials, Gentile, governors and kings who uh, we even see one or two of them. We see a, a King Herod and a governor Pilate who become united. They become friends over their common hatred of the Lord Jesus. In Luke 23, 11, Luke 23:11, it says, Herod with his men of war set him, the Lord Jesus, at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. The same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together for before they were an enmity between themselves. So it was their common hatred of the Lord Jesus that brought them together to be friends. But he tells them, encouraging again, he says, when you shall be brought before governors and kings, in verse 18, for my sake. He says, it's for my sake. He said, for my sake. And he says, and that's, that makes all the difference in the world to realize that it's for his sake that this is happening. He told this to the apostles. And the apostles got this message because we see them in Acts 540. In Acts 540, when they are brought before governors, because when they are suffering from the government, what happened? It says in Acts 540, and to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, for his name. So they got it, they got the encouragement there that it was for his sake when they said, "Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now it says that when they were, when they were brought before the governors and, and the rulers, that this was for a purpose. This was for a purpose, why? Because this was an opportunity that God was creating where these governors and these kings would never, they would never go to a synagogue, they would never go to a meeting where they would hear the gospel. So, the God brings the gospel to them in the form of the apostles being imprisoned. And when he does that, he says that this is an opportunity. Now, gospel received, salvation. Gospel rejected, judgment. Unfortunately here, it says it's primarily, it says it's going to be a a testimony against them, a witness testimony against them. Finally, he finishes up verse 18 by speaking about the Gentiles, he finishes up the Gentiles. Now, why bring up the Gentiles when he has said in, already in verse, verses five and six that they're not go to the Gentiles, that they're to go to the lost sheep of Israel? Well, because he's hinting here, the Lord Jesus is hinting here that the gospel message is going to be carried to the Gentiles, after the Jews, after the Jewish people first, after the Jew first, then it's going to the Gentiles. And so this is part of now how the Lord is preparing his apostles for being sent forth and what they should expect. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll continue with his instructions to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being so thorough in your instruction, Lord, so that nothing would catch us off guard by surprise Thank you, Lord, for doing that and for making it so very clear in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day
1: studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California, 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God,